You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. I mean, I just love um, that prayer from Josh and that confession that we just got to sing there. And just the reminder that we really do have a God um, who wants to invite us into an exchanged life, namely the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ takes our place and takes our sin, but, but all the more that he, he continues to want to do that. He continues to want to give us new life in him, which is beautiful, isn't it? Um, I mean, if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be there tonight. Matthew 6, start in verse 5. And we're jumping into this idea of what we're calling a praying life. And so for the next six to seven weeks, we're going to start a new series called A Praying Life. And, and we're begging and praying that God would take us to a deeper experience with Him, namely through prayer. We're going to look at prayers like Hannah's prayer and the early church's prayer, Nehemiah's prayer, and tonight uh, the Lord's prayer. So again, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. But I mean, I just, I can't get over what we were just singing. And I heard recently that whenever you see Jesus in the gospels announcing the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, what you need to hear him saying is, you don't have to live this way anymore. Isn't that beautiful? You need to hear the son of man inviting us from the life we're in currently to a deeper experience with him, a life, um, maybe an anxious life to a more peaceful life, maybe a hopeless life to a more confident life, maybe a life distant from God and distant from prayer to a life and an intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. And I just believe God wants to do that for us tonight, and he wants to do that in this series. And so I'm just really expectant. Um, Matthew 6, you should be there, Matthew 6, 5 through 13. Cassie read some of this already, but if it's all right, um, let's, let's look at it together. Jesus says this, he says, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, Father, we just ask again um, that your word under the power of your spirit would be enough for your people. Just pray that you'd speak to us tonight, and we really long uh, to see um, others fade away, including myself, and just you be seen as great and glorious as you are. And so we ask that tonight, knowing that you desire that more than we do. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. As I was thinking about this message and kind of where we're going tonight, I was remembering the first time that my father-in-law ever came to Dallas, Texas. And so he's from the New Hampshire area. And at the time, my wife, Caitlin, and I lived closer to downtown over by the JFK site, just the memorial to where uh, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And so I'll never forget that we're, we're taking the route from our place. It was down North Houston, and we make a left turn on Commerce Street, and he's there in the car with us. 
and he's just taking something in that he's never seen before. And, and I remember he said something like, hey, can, you know, we did the whole turn and went past and he's like, can we, can we go back and do that again? And I was thinking, well, we're going that way, but yes, you know, so let's, let's go back and we'll, we'll do it again. And then we, we went by, we took the left turn, we went over the two X's and um, went by the whole scene. And then again, he was like, hey, can we, can we turn back and do that again? I'm like, yes, sir. You know? And so we go back and we do it again. And my father-in-law's um, really into history. And I'll never forget, he just started saying, he kept saying, oh my gosh, the, the books, the biographies, the movies, it, it doesn't do it justice. Like, I can't believe here's the X's and, and th- there, there's that sixth floor and this, you gotta see it. Like, you've got to see it. And then we're past the conversation. I still keep hearing and muttering under your breath. You've just gotta see it. Like, it doesn't do it justice to read about it. It doesn't do it justice um, to watch it. Um, well, wh- why tell you that? I think there's something in all of us, like the more... Uh, familiar we become around something, the more it can just seem commonplace and routine. Maybe, maybe just another example of that. I remember the first time I ever visited my wife, Caitlin, in uh, New Hampshire. Actually, this was in the Boston area. She, her brother lived right by the T, that massive transportation right there through the city. And I couldn't sleep all night long. And you know, you want to be a guest. You don't want to like act grumpy and act like, oh, this is awful being at your house. But I was a little grumpy. And I just kind of said in passing, hey, you know, trying to be subtle. Did you guys you know, hear the sound last night? And they, they said, what sound? And, I, and then I just left all niceties and subtleties. And I said, like the train that was going through the living room. Like, did you not hear that last night? And they're like, oh, the T? I'm like, yes, that one. They're like, well, the, you know, after you're here for three or four nights, you won't hear it anymore, you know? And I'm like, you didn't hear it? Like, no, I think we've just become so accustomed and familiar. We, we didn't hear it at all. And uh, here's what's true, though, for us tonight. Isn't it true that that can be the same for prayer, particularly the Lord's Prayer? Could, is it possible that we've been around the language and the lingo so much, it becomes so familiar, we've heard it so many times, that even even if someone was to say, did you know that you can have an unthinkable communion with your father who's in heaven, the star breathing God of the galaxies, the self-existent Yahweh that he wants you to call him father, you can come into a relationship with him. And that's outlined in the Lord's prayer. We might be like, oh, oh that, is it that prayer? And it just becomes so familiar. I've just been praying that, that wouldn't be the case for us today and tonight. And then in this series, here's how Martin Luther, reformer, kind of said it. He said, we must be careful not to break the habit of true prayer and imagine other works to be necessary, which after all are nothing of the kind. Thus at the end, we become lax and lazy, cool and listless towards prayer. The devil who besets us, he's not lazy and careless. Like, okay, Martin. And our flesh is too ready and eager to sin and disinclined to the spirit of prayer. It's true, isn't it? Prayer, the most majestic of things we give ourselves to, the highest of things in a sense, communion with our God, but yet the hardest of things. We're not inclined to it. Or here's how uh, Dr. Tony Evans says it. He says, prayer is the most misunderstood and neglected aspect of the Christian life. So maybe hear it like this. We don't walk into this topic tonight. None of us do. We're all on level playing saying, I got it. Um, it's been said that prayers like humility. If we come in tonight saying, hey, I think, I, I think I'm humble, probably not. You know, if you're coming in saying, hey, I think I got this prayer thing under control, pr- probably not. So will the Lord save us from that? I think that's not most of us. I think most of us are probably more like the disciples longing for Jesus to take us to a different life where he would speak to us and say, you don't have to live like you are anymore when it comes to your prayer life. And maybe there'd be something in us similar to Luke's account of the Lord's prayer where we would say to Jesus, Jesus, Lord Jesus, would you teach me to pray? And if that's the posture we come in tonight and we're uh, in in an amazing place for God to move miraculously among us. And so just really excited 
about this passage. And when we're looking at this passage, um, just want to lead us through three things if it's helpful. We'll alliterate. That's exciting sometimes and not so much. So wherever you, wherever you fall, we're leaning that way. So I just want us to see the access that we have this father, I want us to see the adoration that he delights in, and then even the asking that he calls us to. We're going to look at access, adoration, and asking. Look with me back at your text at verse 5. I want to stay tethered here. Jesus just says this. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That word hypocrites means uh, like a pretender or a stage actor. The word picture for, the, for that word is a mask. It's someone that has the style of uh, religiosity, but not the substance. He says, don't, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love. So here, here we see it. this is connected to their affections, their desires. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. I think some of us, we hear that, and immediately we so long to not be that, we, we're like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to stand. I'm not going to pray. And I think we know this tonight, but just to be really clear, um, the Scriptures aren't against standing and praying publicly. Uh, we see it all throughout the Scriptures, Nehemiah's prayer, the Psalms, or the prayer book of the church, calling the church how to pray together publicly. Acts, the book of Acts has examples all over the place of people gathering in public, praying in front of one another. So the point isn't don't stand or don't pray in public. The point is their motive. Look what it says. Jesus says, here's why they do it, that they may be seen by others. The word picture was they were on their way to the temple and they um, so longed to have a reputation for prayer, even if it wasn't true, that they would just stop on the way to the temple and just start like praying to God but it wasn't because their hearts were really inclined to God. This is scary. It was just because they wanted to be seen as someone who prayed. They wanted to have a reputation of someone who prayed. Uh, they longed to be seen by others. They didn't realize the unthinkable invitation of prayer that they could be seen by their Father. Much more important. Look what Jesus says. He says, truly I say to you, they have received the reward. So what did they want? They wanted praise from people. What did they get? They got praise from people. And Jesus says, congratulations, you got that. But look what he, he turns and says what we should do. Verse 6, um, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father. That's key. Um, where is not as much key, but who you're praying to, that's key. Pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees. You want to be seen by others, but your Father who sees in secret, he will reward you. And so four times in this passage, Jesus is going to call God Father, Father. Father, a Father who sees, a Father who hears, our, our Father in heaven. And this, um, guys, this would have been unthinkable. Think with me for a minute. Uh, we've been in this series on Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've talked about this God. He creates out of nothing. Some of you are artists in the room and designers, and you, you know how shocking and jaw-dropping that is. He is the only creator or artist who ever does so without a palette. He creates out of nothing. He, he breathes this world into existence by the word of his mouth. He's the God of all creation who's numbering stars and numbering hairs on head. He's the self-existent, self-sufficient, majestic God over all things. And Jesus says, when we come to that God, we can call him Father. We have, hear this, we have access to this God. We get to call him Father. Now, we know it's not spelled out in this passage, but we know as believers who hold the scriptures that the good news of the gospel is that that access comes not by our merit, but by his mercy. 
adoption is the example given for it, right? And so if anyone here has adopted or had a friend or a family member who's adopted, here's what you know about adoption. Adoption is never the work of the child. It's always the work of the parent. And in adoption, um, your, your status and standing is changed instantly. Your behavior might not change. That's okay, but your, your status has changed. All of a sudden, you're a child of this family, and it's not your own work. It's the work of those parents. And it, it becomes this beautiful picture of the fact that we're coming before Jesus, not because of our merit, but because of his mercy. We have access to the Father, is what we need to hear Jesus saying to us tonight, which, which really is incredible. We see it mirrored in the Lord's Prayer, the first refrain in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus will say, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, our Father who is in heaven. Here's what we need to hear being said there. Stop, I think maybe I'll say it this way. I, I rush into God's presence at times. I rush into his presence and I rush in talking. And the word there is when you come into God's presence, stop. Stop for a moment. Ecclesiastes says, he's God in heaven. You're here on earth. Let your words be few. Put your hand over your mouth. Um, the church has said this for 2,000 years. That's crazy, isn't it? Like, just gives us some, like, perspective and hope. This prayer has been prayed for 2,000 years. Catholics and Protestants alike have said, this is a recollect, it's a remembrance. Put your hand over your mouth and remember who you're talking to. Remember your standing. Remember he loves you. Remember he's a father, a good father, the God of all creation. You get to come and call him father. And as you do that, it starts changing things in you as you sit in that and remember the access that you have. It's it's really unthinkable. I think coming to this idea of merit versus mercy, there's, there's something in me, you know, even, even preaching on this topic, you know, you just feel, feel kind of insecure. It's like, who, who am I to teach on prayer? And maybe you felt that before. Who am I to lean in more to prayer? Or uh, this has happened, debits and credits. Who am I to come before God? And I want you to hear this prayer from Daniel 9, 18 that's so beautiful. Daniel says this, God, we come before you not because of our righteousness, but because of your mercy. That's, that's how we're coming. That's how we have access. His mercy, not our merit. Uh, Tim Keller said this. He said, the only person who dares to wake up a king, this is crazy, the only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. Isn't that beautiful? We have that kind of access. Man, just worshiping together, hearing these truths, just like we were singing, we have that kind of access. That's how we've been invited in to the family. There's, um, to stay on the JFK theme, there's a picture, and JFK was before my time, if you're thinking, hey, that's before my time, well, it was before my time as well. But there's this historic picture of JFK in the Oval Office with his son, John Jr., under the desk playing, and it's beautiful. Here's the President of the United States, the most powerful man, arguably, for sure at that time, probably still today, in the entire world, um, very busy, and there is his little son on the ground playing at his feet. We have access. We can knock on the door at 3 a.m., and who else but a child could come before and get access to a king? It's, it's amazing. It's a gift. Jesus says you have access. But secondly, I just want to put before us that Jesus unpacks this idea of adoration, that we're, the adoration that he desires. Look at verse uh, 7. He says this. He says, uh, when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So empty phrases. He says Gentiles. Some, some translations say pagans. That's kind of funny to me. Um, some people use the word pagan and talk about irreligious people. 
Jesus uses the word pagan talking about religious people, people that are doing all the things. They've got all the style and the motions, but their hearts are far from God. It's their empty phrases. There's no relationship with God. They think that if they just say a lot of words that they'll be heard by God. And Jesus says, don't be like them for your father. He knows what you need before you ask him. So we've got a father who sees, and now we've got a father who, who knows what you need before you ask him. Maybe a different way to talk about the adoration that he requires is Jesus is inviting us to an unthinkable invitation where we're getting to meet with God, not manipulate God. Where we're getting to commune with the God of the universe, not try to control or coerce God. Now, for many of us, we hear that and we think, I don't do that. Like that's, um, that's other things. That's people that deal with like crystals or animistic religions or polytheistic backgrounds. But the truth is some of that seeped into our heart and lives as well. Like there's something in us at times that thinks if I just prayed this amount, if I just prayed in this way, if I did these things, maybe I could kind of get God onto, onto, my, onto my level, onto like my will and get him to do what I want. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that. Like there's an unthinkable invitation just to meet with your father, not to manipulate him, just to commune with him, not to try to coerce or control him. And the reason that is, is because he's worthy of adoration. The goal of prayer is him, not just getting from him, but him. And I think it's why Jesus calls him the reward. He says earlier, your father who sees in secret will reward you. And he's the reward, right? He, he's the end of what we get. In Psalm 27, David says it like this. He says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. I don't know if you have trouble with like scriptures like that and your mind goes into overdrive, but when I hear that, I kind of like, wait, wait, you want one thing and then you said three things. You know, like David, like help me out. And uh, like one thing you want and then three things you ask for. Okay, my math's off. But for, for me, this made a lot of sense um, and I was just thinking about an, an aspect of, of my story. Well, one of the things I kind of every once in a while, don't have a lot of humble brags in my life, but one of them is that I met Michael Jordan in high school. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, you're, I know you're super impressed. And so I, I had the opportunity to meet Michael Jordan. I was on the Children's Wish Foundation and I was sick. And, and so they give you three requests. So be ready for that. So they give you three requests. And I'm thinking, okay, three wishes. That's crazy. Like, what am I going to ask for? So wish number one was, I want to spend the day with Michael Jordan. Uh, he said no to that. He was like, no, I'm too busy for that. Um, wish number two was, I want to play basketball against Michael Jordan. He also rejected that. And then wish number three was, I want to meet Michael Jordan. Uh, so I got that one. So by the grace of God. But um, here's, why do I say that? Th three things, but really just wanting one thing. Like at the end of the day, I, I just wanted to be around Michael Jordan. This is what the psalmist is talking about. I think this is what Jesus is inviting us to. You can play that game with me. People love to play the game of if you could have dinner with three dead people, who would it be? Or who's your celebrity you'd love to hang out with? I, it's cheesy or not. I just want to invite us again to the unthinkable invitation that we get to commune with the God of the universe. We get to call him Father. We get to meet with him. Uh, anytime, any place, um, anywhere, um, because of his mercy, and now we get to come and commune with him and meet with him. It's unthinkable. And three times Jesus says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, I want us to hear that tonight as an invitation for the normal Christian life, not super spiritual Christians, not advanced Christians, not maybe if I could clean my life up a little bit more than I could be that type of Christian. It really is an invitation in the normal Christian life that he just wants us to come to pray, to come to him and 
the context of this passage shows us that too. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's been called the King's Sermon, the most majestic sermon ever. And one of the things Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is not just giving us new lists and new actions and deeds we have to do. And I've just got to say out loud, if you're not feeling that, like praise God, you know, praise God for not just more lists and more actions, but Jesus is saying he's coming to change our desires so that our deeds do change. He's coming to change our affections so that our actions do change. He's coming to change what we love so that our lists really do change. So that's the amazing invitation. And then Jesus has come as one who is doing those very things for us. The life of Christ is beautiful when it comes to prayer, is it not? He's tempted in the wilderness. And what's he doing? He's praying. He's at the baptism, um, his baptism. And what is he doing? He's praying. When he selects his disciples, Luke's account tells us he prayed all night before that. When he's up on the transfiguration, Luke's account as well says the context before Peter puts his foot in his mouth is that Jesus is praying. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying. When he's on the cross, he's still praying. He's, he's modeling this to us and inviting us into this life of the fact of coming to our Father and seeing him as supreme and seeing him as the one we want to adore. Let me, let me give you a couple more points on this adoration. Look at the prayer we talked about our Father in heaven. Look at the next, the next petition, which I'm going to just categorize in the idea of adoration. The next one is not just our Father in heaven, but it's hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. It's this burning and deep desire for the honor and glory of God above all else. You can't read the four Gospels and just not see Jesus consumed with a love for the passion of God, just wanting to see God glorified. John 8, 50 is an example I've not come to seek my own glory, but the glory of him who sent me. Isn't that beautiful? John 12 is an example. Father, what am I going to say? Save me from this hour? Nope. It was for this hour I came, so glorify your name. This, this isn't us, though, at times. The Old Testament Jews wouldn't even speak the name of God uh, out of reverence. But if we're honest, at times, like when we, when we use his name in our culture, like it's irreverence, it's um, casual and commonplace, and that there isn't this idea of holiness. I think this is why um, others in the past have said this prayer is getting at the idea that in our use of it, his name is not kept holy. So it's God, give us a heart of grateful joy, wanting your name to be seen as great everywhere. Like, give us this heart of grateful joy, just wanting to see you magnified. You are great, show yourself to be great. You are good, Father, show yourself to be good. So, man, this prayer is magnificent. Do you hear it so far? Jesus is saying when you pray, you might be in desperate circumstances right now. You might be coming with great concerns on your heart. Your father cares about that. We're getting there. But he says, before you rush to put all your needs before him, which is what I normally do first, he says, stop for a moment and realize that the God of the universe is your father because of the work of Jesus Christ, not your own. Recollect that, remember that, and then start to ask that your greatest desire be that this beautiful God would be made much of and honored and magnified in your life and in the lives of those you're praying for. The next petition flows from that one. He says, Jesus says, your kingdom come. Why isn't the name of God hallowed and like seen as it should be? Why isn't it? It's because there are two kingdoms, right? There's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. 
There's the kingdom of our God and there's the kingdom of, of the enemy and there's two warring kingdoms and the prayer is, God, we wanna see your kingdom come. Where there is injustice and brokenness, we wanna see your kingdom come. Where there is evil and all sorts of things that stray from the heart of God, we wanna see your kingdom come. Where there are people that don't know him, we wanna see your kingdom come and then go from darkness to light. Where we are Christians that are walking in, maybe not darkness, but maybe some, some deadness or numbness, we wanna see his kingdom come and him wake us up to who he is. Um, Augustine said it like this, God is reigning now, but it's possible to refuse his reign. Just like someone that closes their eyes to the light, doesn't see it, or someone that goes into a cave, can't see the light. God is reigning and he's doing just fine reigning today, but we can refuse his rule. We can stiff arm it. And so this prayer for your kingdom come is God, would you extend your rule over every part of our lives? Would you extend your rule in our families and roommate situations, in our marriage and singleness? Would you extend your rule in our workplaces? Would you extend your rule among the nations? It's this all-inclusive missionary prayer. And then at the same time, we're yearning for the day when he's gonna make it right again, right? He's this uh, kingdom that's already here, but not yet is the reminder that one day it's gonna come in finality and we wanna see him make it all right again. The next petition flows from that one. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So wherever his kingdom has come, his will is gonna be done. We want to be like Jesus in the garden. Father, let this cup pass, but your will be done. And the great thing about this prayer is if, if we can't pray, it's why it's such a beautiful invitation, we won't have peace. We'll try to control circumstances and control people and control outcomes. But Jesus is inviting us to a different way of life. So there's this access that we're invited into. Uh, we get to come and call God Father. There's this adoration he calls us to. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And just lastly, there's an asking that we are invited into. This is the three last petitions in the prayer. Just gonna kind of categorize those as asking. And what's the first one? Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. He's talking here not about luxuries, but about necessities. And when he's talking about bread, he's saying not just food, but any material necessities, right? Um, and here's what we have to remember here. I think when you, when you turn to this part of the prayer at times, particularly when you, when you talk about the fact that we start with adoration and start with him, you can kind of feel guilty about this. Well, I don't know if he cares. And man, he's like numbering stars, not sure like how much he's invested in my life. And just got to remember again, this is our father, Matthew 10 says he knows when a sparrow falls and he numbers the hairs on our head. He delights, he delights to hear us bring our request to him. Some of you that know my family and I know we have two children. Um, Maya just turned eight. That's crazy, I almost said 10. Let me trying to get ahead of myself. That's scary. Uh, she just turned eight and then Judah's four and a half. He'd want me to tell you that half, so thank you very much. And uh, so they, here's, here's one of my delights as a father. Right now, they will come up into my lap or have me hold them and they will tell me what they want. Can I just tell you how jazzed I get about that? How much I love it. It breaks my heart when I learn that they went around me or tried to lie to me to get what they want or they won't just come to me and just ask and bring it. I love to see them come and ask. I think part of the tension in this text is, is why, why are we asking if he already knows? We already talked about that. We said that, you know, the pagans, they, they talk too much. Here's why, because what we just talked about, he loves it. Martin Lone Jones says this, he loves to hear our lisping praises. You know, like we're this little baby and we're singing and like the band's cranking and we think it sounds awesome and 
He loves to hear our lisping phrases. He likes to hear our petitions. It gives him great pleasure when he sees us coming to him for ask for his daily bread. Again, who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m.? What a child. We have that type of access. We're called into that type of adoration and asking. Next, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. By the way, I'm sure you feel it, but man, we could do a sermon series on every single one of these. Uh, Martin Lowe-Jones has an amazing commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. It would, I would encourage you to look at it. Tim Keller has an amazing book on prayer. There's so many resources out there. We could talk about more after the service if you're interested, but I'm just, I'm feeling like we're just really blowing through these and they're amazing. Like this prayer is beautiful. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So here it, the text says, as we forgive our debtors, not because we forgive our debtors. This isn't karma. This isn't, well, if I forgive them, then maybe God will forgive me. Well, I didn't forgive them. So I guess God won't forgive me. It's not that. But what it is, is a reflection of what's really happened in our heart. So the person that you know that's welcoming, accepting, forgiving, that puts away bitterness quickly, that's a person that's experienced the grace and forgiveness that's in Jesus Christ. And all of us need that reminder. All of us battle with tendencies towards irreconciliation and bitterness and gossip and breaks in relationships. But the the reminder from this prayer is, is to ask God's forgiveness in our own life. And as we receive that, then we become people who are in Christ, want to go and extend that forgiveness to others. It's the parable in Matthew 18, where there's the king that forgives an insurmountable debt over one person. And then he goes, and there's like a a really um, miniature debt that he will not forgive someone else. It's because he hasn't received the forgiveness that came to him vertically. Jesus perfect model of this for us, extending forgiveness to the end of his life. Lead us not to temptation. I think we know this, but the prayer is not, don't let us be tempted, though I want to pray that prayer. You know, the prayer is not, don't let me have hardship in my life, though if I'm honest, I want to pray that prayer. The the assumption is we follow a crucified Savior and we walk in brokenness. The assumption is we live in a broken world. We are going to be tempted, but the prayer is lead us not into temptation. God, help me not be given over to these things that would cause me to, to maybe not think I need you or to give, make me think I'm estranged from you and you don't love me. Like, don't let me be given over to temptation. And then lastly, he just has us pray, but deliver us from evil. So there's protection from the inside of us. Uh, lead us not to temptation. And then now protection from the outside of us. God, deliver us from evil. Protect us from poverty and death and everything threatening bodily welfare, anything that would be broken or not the way it's supposed to be. Protect us from the evil one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So lead us not to temptation. Protect us from the brokenness inside of us. Deliver us from evil. Protect us from the brokenness outside of us. And this is how the prayer is structured, and it's, it's beautiful. Jesus says, pray like this, because it's not you have to repeat these phrases. It's a picture and model of the way he wants us to pray. We begin to pray this way, and it reorders us. It, it kind of reorients us, and he gives us the framework, and we get to kind of put the flesh on. He gives us the structure, so to say, and we get to kind of build out the house a little bit and flesh out these things that he's given us. But when I, when I think about it ending, but deliver us from evil, I can't help but think about our merciful Savior, right? When it comes to this kind of prayer life, we, we, we fall short, don't we? As believers in Christ, I fall short, we fall short, we fail. But Jesus, what I want us to hear tonight is this, this is the beauty of Jesus. Jesus succeeds where we fail. I fail 
in seeing God as a good father. I'm quickly to, to like um, think of him as good or not good based on how my life goes. But Jesus succeeds where you and I fail. Jesus to the very end keeps going to God as a father. It's, it's incredible. I fail in seeing God's kingdom and his name and his will as utmost when I pray. Thank God that Jesus succeeds where you and I fail. Uh, Jesus um, John 12, again, what am I gonna say? Am I gonna say, save me from this hour, Father? No, it was for this hour I came, so glorify your name. And in the garden, let this cup pass, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus succeeds where we fail. I, I fail, if I'm honest, when it comes to asking for bread, and that seems to be like the easiest of them, doesn't it? Like, come on, you can ask for bread. And I fail on that one. Like, though he's been faithful to me time and time again, I don't know if it's because at times I'm not sure I want to ask if he won't grant it or if I just um, am lax towards prayer. But, but the truth is, when I think back on my life and our lives, isn't it true? Our story has been, he's David's refrain. You've, you've never seen the righteous begging for bread. But I, I fail in that. But Jesus succeeds where I fail. He, he even comes and uh, breaks bread and gives it to a crowd showing that he's going to satisfy our ultimate need, but even our physical needs. He comes as the living bread to satisfy the very deepest need of our souls in himself. Jesus succeeds where we fail. I fail in praying for forgiveness. I'm more like Peter. When someone wrongs me, I want to cut off their ear. Um, just confessions this uh, afternoon, night, whatever time it is. But Jesus succeeds where we fail. He's on the cross at the, looking at his enemies saying, Father, forgive them. They know, know, know not what they do. And then I feel when it comes to temptation, Jesus is eyeballing his disciples who I'm a lot more like than I like to admit. And he says to them, pray, pray and resist that you might not fall into temptation. Pray and stay alert. And then it's not for very long that they're sleeping. And if at times, if we're honest, we're sleeping, but Jesus succeeds where we fail. Jesus is in the garden praying for me and praying for you. And we can't pray for ourselves. It's, it's unthinkable. So tonight, I just, I just want us to hear Jesus beckoning us to a different kind of life. Jesus saying, you don't have to live this way anymore, that the route that leads to change is not in the opposite direction of our Father or around our Father, but it's to him. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to live this way anymore. You can trade an anxious life for a peaceful life. You can trade a life of failure for his success. You can trade an insecure life for his boldness and confidence. You can trade a dark and lonely life for a hopeful life. You can trade a life living for you to a life living for him. You can trade a life of manipulating, controlling God to a life communing with God. You can trade a life of living everything based on merit to a life living under the waterfall of his mercy. We can trade a life distant from God to a life of an unthinkable invitation of praying to our Father who's in heaven to really, to really a praying life, which is just so beautiful and Here's what we want to do as a church body over these next seven weeks. I'm really excited about this. We're praying that God would form us into seeing his beauty and into being more of a praying people. And again, the end of prayer is not prayer, it's him. It's getting more of him. And so to that end, um, we're just going to kind of do a couple things. One of them is we're going to try to preach uh, somewhat of shorter sermons. So hello, help us out on that. And then we're going to spend the last part uh, just practicing prayer. So we're going to do that with the Lord's Prayer tonight. And we'll do it with other prayers we preach on. That's the first thing I'm really excited about. Second thing is we just want to call our body to some more rhythms of prayer. So there are lots of rhythms already at Northway. You may or may not know about some of them. There's a Tuesday morning prayer time and a 9 a.m. prayer time during services and there are GCs and go groups all throughout the city that are meeting in pockets to pray that you could be invited into. And I want, to, I want us to highlight more of these in the coming weeks. 
But one of the things we want to do is just set apart kind of a sacred space, Wednesdays, midweek from 12 to 1, and just invite anyone who can come to come. Uh, moms and dads, kids will be coloring things in papers. If you're, we know some of you can't do that, it's okay. Uh, some of you maybe can come for 30 minutes or a little bit of it in the midst of your work if you have a lunch break and you're not super far. But just want to invite us into that to be a praying people these next six or seven weeks, 12, 12 to 1 on Wednesdays and then practicing prayer here. So let's go there now, um, and we get to practice together tonight, which is awesome. Come on, 4 p.m., you ready for this? So uh, first, all right, there's a, a slow clap. I'm, I'm gonna take that as really good, a good sign. Um, first, I just want us to start with access. Jesus says this, start like this, our Father in heaven. Don't rush to make your needs known. In fact, don't even rush to talk. Just put your hand over your mouth and recollect and remember the unthinkable invitation that you get to come to your Father, that you stand in his love as his adopted children and he loves you. So just a minute, just wanna encourage us to, it's just a time of silence just to recollect and remember to stop and think of the access that we have and then we'll move on to the next part. Father in heaven, we can't uh, get over the idea that you want to talk to us. Like we talk about with Northway Kids here, that God, you want to talk to us, that we have access into your presence, King of the universe, saying, come knock on my door at any time, 3 a.m., 6 a.m., 9 a.m., you come and you bring all of you into my presence. We just thank you for that. God, I think that you're all existent and all sufficient and all knowing and, and you would welcome us just starts to 
reorder our heart to think you care about us. We come in your fatherly love. You cover us because of the blood of Jesus. We don't come because of our merit, because of your mercy. We, um, yeah, we start to be comforted by the fact that we're coming to a father. We get to come to you, Father, a perfect heavenly father. And we just thank you for that. Just want us to keep praying and just move to a time of not just access, but thinking of adoration, just the adoration that we're called into. And so, um, man, if, if you're able, I know for some of you, you might have come by yourself or uh, you might not want to do this, but if you're able, I'd really encourage you just to like look at two or three people around you, just try to join in. I'd love us just to do this together. Just begin to start bringing our praises to God, just a participatory sport here. And so um, Jesus next calls us not just to revel in and recollect the access we have. He's our Father, but he calls us to adoration. He calls us to go upward before we go inward in our prayers. And so we pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So take a few minutes, some people around you, and just begin to ask. One of you start, and then another jump in, and we're just gonna take a few minutes here and begin to adore him, that his kingdom would come, his will would be done, that he would be hallowed. So let's do that now.
Father, we ask that you would show yourself to be as great and good as you are. Would you do it in our hearts? Would you do it in our lives, in our workplaces? Would you do it in the streets of Dallas and among the nations? Would your kingdom come? Would your, would your will be done? Would you give us even a joy in praying that as we begin to pray those things and you reorient our hearts to you and to things that you care about and things that you love and you begin to clear our hearts of, of any other illusions besides anything else being better than that. And so just thank you. Just pray, God, that um, yeah, we would get to see, even here at Northway, God, please, for your glory, we get to see the way things are in heaven, more on earth here, just uh, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. Just get to see people coming to love and trust Jesus, even this prayer series, just more communion with you, not distance with you, not fear about you, but just coming to you for who you are. And so we just pray that, pray that for your sake, amen. And just the last part is just asking, we'll kind of, close on this one and then jump into the Lord's Supper. And so not just the access we have, not just a call to look up his glory, his kingdom, his will, but now asking. And so Jesus says, bread, forgiveness, temptation. And he gives us a frame for how to ask, but put these things in your own words, bring your desires before the Father, bring your needs. So let's just jump back into the groups that we are and just begin to ask him, ask him to move, bring our needs before him. And then we'll just close praying that way.
close us in prayer, Father. Uh, it's just such a gift to hear our church family just bringing their needs before you, just to hear um, their praises and their petitions. And just thank you that you love that, that you delight in us doing that. And just pray you continue to assure our hearts of that, Father. Just pray, um, we pray here at Northway just for, for bread. Just pray that you would provide for us, God. Just thank you how you continue to meet our needs. And I just pray that, that we would be a body that even gets to meet the needs of one another. I pray that we are just a church, um, not just marked by prayer, but marked by you, the end of prayer, that, that we're, we're a reveling in your forgiveness type of church, God, that it's hard to interact in a GC or anywhere else without feeling the acceptance of God and the welcome of God and the forgiveness that's um, in our God and Father. I just pray you'd make us a, a forgiven and forgiven people. And I just pray that you would, um, God, protect us from the brokenness inside of us and the broken outside of us, that we would walk in your way in such a way to honor you. And um, yeah, just continue to make us a praying church. Lord, we love you. And just pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.